1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There was some positive news over the weekend with respect to U.S. sausages, as you've no doubt heard by now, which is that... um, Evanston residents Judith and Natalie uh, Ronan were released by Hamas over the weekend and uh, appear to be in good health, and they're on their way back home. Uh, Natalie is a recent Deerfield High School grad. Uh, Judith is a 59-year-old esthetician in Evanston who uh, is a community member of the Chabad House there, Uh, Dove Hill L. Klein, who I know, actually. That's a conservative uh, faith community, interestingly, that's being underreported. Uh, they had a call with uh, POTUS upon uh, their release, and it went like this
2: Hey,
3: judith yeah.
4: Hello, President.
2: I'm yeah. so glad you're home. I'm not home, I'm glad you're out.
4: Thank you so very, very much.
5: Hey, Nat, how are you? God love you.
4: I just want to say
3: thank you
6: for your services, for Well, oh, I, I, I look. That's that's been a long serving. I'm just delighted we're able to get you out. We've been working on it a long time. We're gonna we're gonna get them all out, God willing. I just want to say, you. I hope you're all. I hope you're both not only feeling good but in good health as well. Yes,
4: sir. Yes, we are. And thank you very much. God bless
3: you. Well, God bless you guys.
0: So that's uh, excellent news, although um, they were quick to add, or maybe it was the father who uh, mentioned it, that they still have eight relatives in Gaza, yeah. so uh, there's still a great concern there.
7: And we still have 10 Americans that are being held hostage that we need to get out. So yes. it was baby steps, but still, I mean, it's it's something. I was surprised. They were handed over to the Red Cross there in the middle of the night, and she just looked—the the daughter, the Deerfield grad, looked so, like, just— shell-shocked, like sunken eyes, and then went later, you know, she looked better. But I, Lord knows what they went through. We don't know.
0: This was supposedly brokered by Cutter. Um, yeah. We don't know exactly why they were released, but we know wh- why they weren't. This is an odd twist in this story, Yeah. something else that's been underreported. They um, had to issue a statement in response to claims from Black Lives Matter grifter Sean King, ...that he played a part in getting them released.
7: Sean King?
0: That's what he okay. claimed. This is their statement. The, Ren- the Renans had released a statement. Today we came across bizarre posts on the Instagram page of one Sean King, who turns out to have millions of followers, who claims that our relative, Natalie Ronan, supports the anti-Israeli message he uploads to his page. First and foremost, we make it clear that he is lying. Our family does not and did not have anything to do with him, neither directly or indirectly, not to him and not to anything he claims to represent. Natalie told us this, this morning it was the first time in her life she came across Sean King's name in his posts. after she finally got a phone call after two horrific weeks in captivity in Gaza and was looking for what was written about her while she was away. Sean King is trying to catch a ride on the great exposure that her kidnapping received all over the world and in the U.S. in particular. And the most ridiculous thing is that Natalie and her mother, Judith, are very active in Rabbi Heck's Jewish community in Chicago and the Chabad House. And if Sean King knew them or their family, he would know that. We ask not to be quick on the keyboard and share things without checking them in depth, mainly not to believe people who speak for others. The damage that the sharing of these lies does is so huge, and the effort of our family and all the families of the abductees should be focused on bringing them home and not fighting the lies that are being spread like wildfire.
7: Was racial dolls all going to be next? I mean, what is going on here? Uh, there's what is a, this,
0: this crazy? This, this idea that somebody from the Renan family reached out to Sean King to reach out to whoever his Palestinian connects were, and then he was uh, trying to intercede here. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Sean King, being the race grifter, he ha- is here probably has race grifters in other parts of the world. I, that, that wouldn't surprise me, but just a bizarre turn there. Uh, anyway, I just thought I'd add that because, uh, yeah. of course, you can't escape the identitarian politics of our age, and the Renan's even of captivity couldn't escape it. It just is startling, frankly. Uh, but something else, too, about the hostages that you mentioned. Um, the posture of this government, the posture of the Biden administration. I know he's had a nice moment where he gets to take credit for the return of the Renans, and we're glad that they're, uh, they've been returned safely. But um, Mike Pence had something to say about this, actually, on Meet the Press over the weekend about the posture of the Biden administration when it comes to American hostages, uh, what Biden is doing versus what he would do. Take a listen.
8: We've got Americans being held by bloodthirsty terrorists in gaza and and if I was President of the United States, I would have directed the Joint Special Operations Command to stand up Delta Force to stand up the Navy seals who do the best hostage rescue in the world, and say you need to you need to work with IDF and we need to tell Hamas you've got twelve hours to turn American and Israeli hostages loose, or we are coming to get them uh, I mean this uh, look i I welcome the release of two American hostages this week. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but but going hat in hand to Qatar uh, and 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 standing by while while Hamas uh, d- decides whether they're going to release another hostage is totally unacceptable. We are the leader of the free world. We are uh, Israel's strongest ally on the planet. We need to send a message to Hamas uh, that that you need to turn those hostages back. Over, or you, or you'll answer not just to Israeli Defense Forces, but you'll answer to the United States Armed Forces.
7: Three what do you one, think about, yeah, sorry. Yeah, what, three what do you think? I'm sorry, Dan. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I like Mike Pence's approach, don't you?
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm respectful of uh, shin bet uh, israel's national security service and the uh, tactical units they're standing up to get after hamas terrorists and to uh, engage in whatever way is possible to get hostages israeli and american and otherwise released but um yeah i'm i'm a little curious about our passive role in this too it's not a lack of faith in israel it's a question of we have these resources, as Pence said, uh, Our guys are the best in the world. Why wouldn't we use them? And something else Christopher Ray said too, on 60 minutes last night, this five eyes mm-hmm. sit down with Scott Pelly that, that we'll get to. But just on this specifically, on the remaining hostages, American hostages in Gaza, this is you know, your FBI director, Chris Ray.
2: We're going to work closely with our partners, uh, our Israeli partners, our uh, U.S. embassy partners, um, the whole U.S. government to do whatever we can to ensure that those hostages uh, come out safe. But uh, but make no mistake, this is a dangerous time.
0: Yeah, we well, got well, that. Uh, uh, I mean, come on. Well, he he yeah. said the the for, well. First of all, it's not his call. And the FBI is domestic law enforcement. Uh, They have an intel component domestic law enforcement. So it's not that I'm waiting for Chris Ray to do anything. But it speaks to what Mike Pence is saying and what our understanding is of what this administration's posture is, which is a passive one. Chris Ray, we're going to work with, not we're working with.
7: Right.
0: So do we have um, all hands on deck to uh, leverage America's Resources to get Americans back. I mean, uh, to to Pence's point, the idea of you you have twelve hours. Um, I mean, otherwise, you know, we're sending in Liam Neeson and everybody else. Uh, that I I think um, yeah.
7: And Delta I think Force so. is already there. I mean, Biden released a picture of them like an idiot instead of hiding their faces on social media, which they eventually took down. But yeah, I would go with that route for sure. I. Uh, and now, who are these other 10 that are still missing? We don't really know a lot about them. Which...
0: We know some of them, including uh, some that have a connection to Chicago. Uh, a, uh, a young man named Hirsch Goldberg Poland is one of five hostages with Illinois Connections. Um, his parents now live in Jerusalem, but they're from Chicago. He grew up in uh, West Rogers Park in Skokie. Uh, he, uh, and apparently too, I don't know how they know this, but it's been reported that, um, this young man who's 23 years old, his left arm was blown off in a bunker before he was taken. Mm. He's been missing since his condition is unknown. And so, um, you know, there's another example of somebody like, um, you know, obviously some of this needs to be much of this needs to be done, uh, you know, below public disclosure i get that but i mean just what is the posture of the administration in terms of the resources we're going to use uh, i i i we, we certainly want to work in collaboration but i don't think we should be deferential to the israelis when it's american lives on the line that was the point that mike pence made and i think it's a salient one
1: before you see it on tv share it on facebook or read about it in the paper Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer.
9: Hey, business owners. Is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 30 or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
1: Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're talking about uh, the American Hostages release, the Renans, over the weekend and those that are still in captivity and what the United States government is doing about it exactly.
7: And Dan, you mentioned the, the Habat House. What's your affiliation with them? or How are you?
0: Campus Northwestern. I, I, I knew, met Dove Hillel Klein a million years ago when I was an undergrad and thereafter because of Conservative Jewish friends, and mm-hmm. so I—that's how I know about it, and oh. I, I know him. Okay. Um, so, um, in addition to the hostages, those who were fortunate enough to survive and not be taken hostage, a uh, Long Island native, a 28-year-old woman named uh, Natalie Sanandaji, she escaped uh, during. Uh, the throes of the attack she was at the music festival she escaped with some of her friends and um, she described what the situation was like and and also too, I mean just to put yourself in the place of people who live in that part of the world and what they've been conditioned to accept it was really interesting to hear her perspective
10: I was the only American so I looked to everyone else to see their reaction to see how I should react And one of the girls came to me. She was like, it's okay because of the area we're in. This happens sometimes. Maybe it'll just be a few. It's going to pass. Maybe the party will continue. I don't think anywhere else in the world you would have rockets intercepting over your head at a party and you would think, oh, it's going to pass. It'll be fine. Um, So because of the fact that they grow up in war, that they're used to this, that this is something that they've all seen before, Not to this extent, obviously, but they've had rockets been intercepted over their heads before they've gone into bomb shelters. Because of that, it took us much longer to realize the severity of the situation in any other country. These kids would have ran for their lives as soon as they saw that.
0: Um, She uh, went on to describe once they finally appreciated what was going on, um, how they escaped and How random it was because they were running for their lives but they didn't know if they were running in the right direction or the wrong one.
10: Um, Kids were running in all directions. Nobody knew what direction was the direction of safety. Every decision you made had to be a split-second decision that could have either saved you or gotten you killed. Um, At a certain point we passed this ditch and a bunch of kids were hiding in this ditch And me and my friends contemplated getting inside the ditch as well and hiding from the gunmen. Um, And then my friend said, don't do it. If they come and they see us in the ditch and they're above us, we have nowhere to run. We kept running, and we later found out that all the kids who stayed are no longer with us.
0: And uh, she went on to say a few other things to the New York Post after that sit-down with Fox. A lot of people have asked if I'm scared to go back to Israel after everything that's happened. My honest answer is now more than ever, I want to move to Israel. Even with everything going on, I feel safer there than I do in the U.S. right now. Talking about what she is seeing in terms of anti-Semitism, well, certainly in the streets of Manhattan and London and Chicago and around the world. She said it's the first time in her life that she started to get hate for her faith. Um. there's people in Europe drawing Jewish stars on people's doors if they know it's a Jewish home. <laughs> uh, in addition to, of course, what we've heard and seen with the chanting on the streets of big cities and, of course, of course, on college campuses.
7: And did you see what the CTU did? Love the Chicago Teachers Union. They were tweeting out locations to go to uh, this to join the pro-Palestinians in stopping this solidarity with Israel rally that they had yesterday in Lincolnwood. Yeah. So wonder if other CPS employees understand that CTU is supporting pro-Israel. I mean, sorry, pro-Palestinian and looks like Hamas terrorists that they're supporting.
0: Um, in London— There were uh, this campaign against anti-Semitism. They were driving around the streets of London, the main thoroughfares, with uh, billboard vans. Billboard vans that featured the uh, names and images of children kidnapped by Hamas in Gaza. And they were stopped by police.
7: Oh, my God.
0: Um, Here is uh, a gentleman associated with the campaign against anti-Semitism describing what happened.
11: I've just had one of the most disturbing experiences in nine years of Campaign Against Anti-Semitism. We've got billboard vans which have been driving around London showing the faces of the children kidnapped by Hamas with a call to bring them home. That's all that's on the billboard vans. They were out this evening shooting video of the vans passing various landmarks, and right in front of Big Ben. I got a call from the volunteers who were shooting the pictures, really shaken up. They've been stopped by protesters and then police had turned up and told them to turn off the billboards and clear out of central London otherwise there would be quote a breach of the peace and I was just astonished by this how on earth could the police stop people in central London in our capital? from showing the pictures of children kidnapped by a terrorist organization, banned by our government. How could they possibly do that? How could they turn on the victims of terror? And so I went down to have a look and try the route again. And sure enough, the police turned up and told us for our own safety that we couldn't show the billboards. Not only that, what they did is they asked me to step across the road with them for my own safety, supposedly, so that I didn't get hit by a cyclist. They then instructed the drivers to turn off the billboards and to clear the area. And they wouldn't let me cross back over to listen to the conversation or talk to our own drivers. They actually physically restrained me from trying to speak to the drivers or hear the conversation because they said they were worried about me crossing the road. That's what it's come down to in central London. The question I ask you when you watch this footage is who are the police protecting? The victims of terrorism, the Jewish community, or is it the sensibilities of people who sympathize with terrorists who are banned by our country?
0: Uh, It's a rhetorical question, I presume. Uh, Here was the interaction that uh, guy had with police just to substantiate his characterization of what occurred.
11: Why have you told him to turn it off? Excuse me, why why has the guy been told to turn off the... Why has he been told to turn it off? On what legal basis is he being asked to do that? Yeah. Sir, sir, okay. I don't want you to get run over by Okay, pass, you're holding obviously. me back, and no, you're I'm telling... You've just told in. him to turn sir, I'm that off. You've you just told him to, the them to road, turn that off. It, why, so why are the police holding me back and telling them to them turn so the vans off? To why are they doing that? I'll talk to
12: them in
11: a second. Okay, why have they just been... I'd like to speak to the person who's giving instructions. No, excuse me, why are you holding... Okay, someone, someone is giving instructions to turn off our vans. They're private property. They're yeah. entitled to do what they're doing. Yeah. Why are they being told to do they that? They are
13: entitled to, but yeah. at the same time, we want to make sure that they're safe, they're va- their property is safe. And what we don't want to do is have people coming this way and doing
4: any
11: damage to their vans. Right, so if they're happy to drive around London, which they were, until you pulled them over and stopped them. We haven't and pulled told, them over. You, you have, you told them to stop. Look, there's police officer there who's told to stop. have asked them, to, them to move
14: into a different place.
0: They're um, entitled to do it. The police concede, but um, we don't want to incite Hamas sympathizers to vandalize the vans. I see. So um, your rights, I mean, it's a little bit different in the U.K., but it's the same principle that applies. Um, Sure, you're entitled to uh, the full complement of your rights unless somebody is triggered by your expression, for example, your legal expression, and, and that, that might put you in jeopardy, then what we're going to do in response to that is shut you up. That's the philosophy of the safety state.
7: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also text us all morning long at our turnkey.pro text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: And to that uh, Long Island, uh, young, that woman from Long Island who, who you heard in terms of her escape from that massacre at the concert, saying it, you know, this first time she's been feeling hate for her faith and she feels safer in Israel than she does in New York City, which is just a stunning comment. I, I know. Uh, she... Um, there's a good piece in the journal over the weekend uh, by Shani Moore, who is a professor at University in Israel, about uh, the how the atrocities bring more hate. You would think, oh, the these atrocities and people would be uh, empathetic to the Jewish people, certainly the victims. Uh, they would be less defiant in their enabling and and empathizing or sympathizing with Hamas. They would be more muted in their criticism of the Israelis, particularly those that did nothing other than go to a concert, uh, innocents uh, that are, you know, children and so forth. You might think that, but then you wouldn't understand the sort of Ideological makeup of the identitarian left. I mean, this is this whole thing to me is a real exercise in the destructiveness of identitarian politics. Um, he writes uh, in his piece uh, in response to October seventh. Many in the West have accused Israel of being a genocidal nation. The Washington Post, Karen Atia. The U.S. cannot stand by as Israeli, Israeli officials engage in genocidal language and describe genocidal intent against Palestinians for the actions of Hamas. The English, uh, UK's uh, Guardian, published at least three opinion pieces this week warning the same. Hundreds of international law scholars from around the world signed a statement, reporting they'd find they found signs in Israel that warn of a potential genocide in Gaza. Uh, In one respect, this response is transparent projection, he writes. Hamas's charter explicitly calls for the destruction of Jews in Israel. By kidnapping, raping, and slaughtering innocent civilians, the terrorist group gives every indication that it believes what it says. Yet its sympathizers in the West aren't merely projecting. Their behavior is an example of cognitive dissonance reduction. Cognitive dissonance reduction. The process by which people reconcile new information that contradicts their firmly held priors. Western activists for Palestinians are dedicated to two nearly theological precepts. Israel is evil, and no Palestinian action is ever connected to any Palestinian outcome. Um, You could apply that in a racial context in this country, couldn't you? You sure could. Uh, The cognitive trap expresses itself in how Israel's opponents in the West speak about the conflict with the Palestinians. Concern that time is running out for reaching a two-state solution never leads to calls for the Palestinians to hurry up and accept a negotiated compromise. They ignore Palestinians rejected statehood and peace in 2000, 2001, 2008, 2014. They ignore that Hamas's belligerence is the cause of Israelis, the Israeli blockade of Gaza, which is a defensive measure. Um, the terrorist atrocities don't trigger recoiling from the cause in whose name they were carried out. They lead to an even greater revulsion at the victim. Why? Because we have to make Those we oppose as evil as those we support, at least as evil, if not more so. This was a terrorist attack. They're a genocidal apartheid state. You see how it works? Mm -hmm. You think that they're going to be coward? They're going to walk back some of their mindless identitarianism? No, no, no. Over the top. Over the top. They need to continue to justify their advocacy, not reconsider it. Such a great example of the poison, the intellectual poison you're dealing with running through the veins of these identitarian leftists. There was a great moment on BBC with uh, Douglas Murray, who is just whip-smart. And the BBC news presenter does the normal thing, which is after this terrorist attack, uh, uh, amid a long history of terrorist attacks. We've been here before at the hands of Hamas and other Islamo-fascist terrorist organizations against Israel and the West. We have to focus on, well... You know, is the response proportional is the response? Are we are is we have to make sure the the rules of war apply to Israel? This is the entire focus of the news media's of the Western media's coverage of this in terms of the the war dynamic. Well, um, a proportional is what you want. Okay. well, here's what proportional is. Take a listen.
14: There is no electricity,
4: there is no running water, there is no food going in, there are no other fuel supplies going in. Is that, and while raining down missiles on buildings which they know are going to kill civilians, is that a reasonable, proportionate and moral response by Israel?
15: There is some deep perversion in Britain whenever Israel is involved in a conflict, and it is the word you just used. Proportion. I've heard it for the last few days incessantly. Proportionality in conflict rarely exists. But if we were to decide that we should have this fetish about proportionality, then that would mean that in retaliation for what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday, Israel should try to locate a music festival in Gaza, for instance, and good luck with that should try to find a music festival in Gaza and rape precisely the number of women that Hamas raped on Saturday. Kill precisely the number of young people that Hamas killed on Saturday. They should find a town... Uh, of exactly the same size as a town like Sterot, where I've been many times myself, and make sure they go to door to door and kill precisely the correct number of babies that Hamas killed in Sterot on Saturday, and shoot in the head precisely the same number of old-age pensioners as were shot in Sterot on Saturday, just to choose one town. Proportionality in conflict is a joke.
0: Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. <laughs> this is Chicago's morning answer
5: your show keeps me alive during the week there's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in the morning than you guys
1: an am 560 the answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I heard uh, Mike Scott reporting that a 40-year-old woman who was a synagogue leader in Detroit who was murdered, found outside her home, uh, that uh, police don't believe it was connected to her faith oh,
7: okay. to her
0: a jewish identity okay so we can ignore it then
7: yeah move on yeah well the police said it has nothing to do with the you know terrorists so move on mm-hmm. so
0: maybe it doesn't and so then then it's just detroit being detroit so exactly this that's not interesting synagogue leaders
7: get killed all the time right no they don't
0: do you have information that detroit police don't Right. I didn't think so. So the the, the the point I would suggest is you ignore the murder because that's just Detroit being Detroit. Now, there's no political component to it if what Detroit police are saying is correct. And so you just, oh, and that's just you know, 40-year-old uh, people get murdered in in Detroit. People randomly get murdered all the time in big cities. That's fine. There's, no, there's, no, there's no, nothing political about it, so what's even the point of discussing it? For example, this 12-year-old boy who was killed in Inglewood last night. 12-year-old boy killed in Inglewood, that's not the first one. Uh, I don't believe there's any uh, suspicion that it's a police officer or a white guy who committed the murder, so what's interesting about that? There's nothing political to it then, so why would we talk about it? Why would we care? This is, this is post-9-11 redux that we're doing right now, as I was arguing on Friday. And it's all of the false equivalences and uh, conflating of the magnitude of threats and the uh, political act of violence du jour to focus upon uh, at the exclusion of similar acts of barbarism uh, and at the exclusion of acts of barbarism that are more reflective of endemic violence in places like Detroit or Chicago? What was the conversation that Scott Pelley had with FBI Director Ray yesterday when the conversation turned to What's happening in Gaza and how it has everybody on a heightened sense of security here because of concerns of lone wolf actors. Where have we heard that before? And what's Ray's focus? It's the refrigerator magnet that you get from the FBI. See something, say something. What's the focus? Exclusively? on violence towards uh, Muslim Americans, as illustrated by the horrific murder of that six-year-old boy in Plainfield the other week.
6: An American boy was stabbed. In Illinois, a six-year-old Palestinian American boy was stabbed to death by a man enraged by the attack on Israel. How do you stop that kind of thing?
2: The key that we've found in stopping it more and more is trying to have the right eyes and ears out in the community. And so what we need to have are people in the community, when they see something starting to go awry, calling law enforcement. Um, And the attacks that we've been able to prevent over the years have almost always included somebody who's made that phone call. Uh, And the attacks that haven't been prevented have almost always had somebody who had that information, but for one reason or another, didn't make that phone call. Yeah.
0: Yawn. 312-642-5600, Turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36DA, Turnkey.pro text line. Yeah, obviously what happened to that boy and his mom, terrible. And um,
7: She got out over the weekend out of the hospital.
0: Uh, I, I don't know if the see something, say something was going to prevent what happened from happening. Uh, but the the larger point is this is uh, the subject of a sort of national uh, whole-of-government response. The 12-year-old murdered on the streets of Inglewood, shoulder shrug. They're both horrific. One represents uh, a more endemic level of violence. One represents something that we have become conditioned to accept. And the other, thankfully, doesn't. I'm glad we're not conditioned to accept a 70-year-old man who stabs to death a 6-year-old boy. I'm glad we're not conditioned to accept it in that circumstance. Why are we conditioned to accept it in Inglewood? Or Chicago? Or Detroit? Oh, well, if that uh, 40-year-old woman, Jewish woman, wasn't killed because she's Jewish, well then, move on. The real problem, though, according to state-funded media in the form of the NPR Times. Chicago police with extremist ties. At least 27 Chicago police officials appeared in leaked rosters for the Oath Keepers. At least nine are still with the department. There are nine police officers out of 12,000 who uh, may or may not be, according to this reporting, which I don't trust because of the source, but let's just say it's true for the sake of argument. Nine out of 12,000 police officers appear on an Oath Keepers roster, and thus the fundamental problem with police. Brandon Johnson promised to clean this up, investigate cops with ties to extremist organizations, as they term them like the Oath Keepers. And yeah, I understand that the leadership of the Oath Keepers, uh, including its founder, we're uh, charged and convicted, several, several of them, including the founder, but charged and convicted of seditious conspiracy. I think Stuart Rhodes, the founder, was sentenced to something like 20 years in prison, although um, the uh, quality of the prosecutions for seditious conspiracy inside the district uh, is a another topic of conversation. I certainly don't accept those prosecutions at face value. Beyond the ones that are obvious Where somebody committed an act of vandalism Or committed an act of violence These seditious conspiracy uh, Charges where you Demonize a particular group That you know whose philosophy I don't share But um, Is extremist because they are a little bit Confused about the Biblical admonition to Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God What is God's The idea that that any cop and there are many, uh, apparently, many law enforcement and ex military on the list of the oath keepers. Any cop or uh, veteran who's on the, one of their rosters is somehow an extremist who can't do their jobs. The point is, uh, what specifically has occurred while they've been on the job? And what you have are allegations like this in this uh, blockbuster state. Funded media report, a Chicago police officer allegedly made racist jokes at a police firing range, fostering a work environment that a black colleague likened to a KKK rally. Mm-hmm. Another cop was accused of using racial slurs after pulling over a driver who mistakenly turned onto a one way street after leaving a West Side church. A police supervisor responded to a charity fundraising email by telling an activist from Inglewood. He had, quote, no desire to help inner city poor people, unquote. These are among the uh, 27 current and former Chicago police officers, nine of who remain in the force, according to this report, who appeared in leaked rosters for the Oath Keepers, an anti-government group that played a central role in the 2021 U.S. Capitol riot. Riot? That was an insurrection. Uh, And uh, count many cops, servicemen and first responders as members. This is your blockbuster reporting in the city of Chicago. What do you think? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A. Turnkey Pro Text Line. Yeah, that's the um, center cut. The <laughs> when you see the against the backdrop of uh, stories, they they don't want to tell about the uh, unbelievable. Increase in violent crime or uh, violent crime adjacent, crimes that are violent adjacent, violence adjacent. Robberies are up 58% in CPD's 14th District. That's uh, Logan Square, Bucktown, Wicker Park, Humboldt Park. Next door in the 12th District, uh, which includes from Humboldt Park to West Loop, robberies have increased by 63% year over year. They're up 95% compared to 2019 just west of the 12th district the grand central district 25th district robbers are up 129 percent from last year 111 percent compared to 2019 the problem is those uh, nine cops on the uh, roll on the uh, oath keepers rosters who may or may not have uh, made some racially insensitive remarks and, and if those allegations are true that's not appropriate but you see what I'm talking about, about conflating the threats, the threat levels on things? The fundamental concern in Chicago is nine cops out of 12,000 making off-color comments? Or is it the uh, lawlessness throughout the city? Is it the fact that, for example, Water Tower Place is renting out is looking to redevelop its top five floors. I mean, the iconic water, plate, the water tower place. And this is just yet another example of the ongoing ghettoization of Chicago's revenue-producing areas, in addition to what's happened to its outlying areas over the last 50 years of Democrat-Socialist lordship. I mean, not last hundred, but real, the accelerant is the last 50, particularly the last 20 Steve, Northwest Side, on Chicago's Morning Answer.
13: Boy, there are nine guys on the job that may be tied to what they call an extremist organization. Big deal. So what? Who cares? I know 15 liberals on the job that are disgusting and are working with them to destroy that department, not to mention the, uh, the politicians on that job. It's a big nothing burger. Most of those guys are probably hidden away in an equipment and supply or some. Other useless MP holster position that have no, and they have nothing to do with the general public.
16: I, you know, when
13: I was on the job, I'm retired now. But when I was on the job, there were people I didn't like. There are people today that I don't particularly like. Of but course. when I when I encountered those guys, I gave them the best possible service that I would want, that I could, could. The same type of service I would want if I were on the receiving end of that. I mean, this is just nothing ridiculous. I'm, I'm just, it's really got me upset this morning with this nonsense. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks.
0: No, thanks for the call. Appreciate the perspective. Yeah, that's what's important—not this uh, shootout at the Old Town Walgreens uh, over the weekend. Yeah, did
7: you see that? Was <laughs> it Chicago and North Avenue, an Old Town? There, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Police uh, say a man in his late 20s entered the store, pulled out a gun during an altercation with a 26-year-old employee that he knew. The employee also pulled out a gun, and then they exchanged gunfire, leaving up to 12 shell casings on the floor in aisle 13. Clean up Clean in up. aisle
7: 13. We got, we, we got a spill.
0: He was probably yeah. the one guy. Was probably just trying to shoot open those bulletproof casings so he could get a tube of toothpaste.
7: Right.
0: This is Old Town. Right. The The Walgreens in Old Town. Uh huh. I mean, the middle I,
7: of the night or anything during the day?
0: Yeah. The The The.
7: Uh, complete I, lawlessness I, in the city is showing. Every single day.
0: We <laughs> got to root out those nine guys that uh, yeah, I don't know nine. responded to an Oathkeeper's email. We got to we got to track down the guy who made off-color jokes at the gun range. Okay. Sounds like an HR matter. Um how about the larger city matter where 2.7 million people live? Can we can we have a conversation about that? Ron Southside. Yeah. Hey, good morning to that last caller that said big deal about
3: 9 people. I don't want one person conducting themselves like that as a taxpayer And the police department. I read the story, and if those, if their policy states that that conduct is
0: is unacceptable, then they need to be dealt with. And then- well, that, no, nobody's arguing that. Nobody's arguing. And that, that retired cop that called is not arguing that. He's just saying again, what is the what is the the rank order of th- uh, threats what is the rank order of priorities in the city you know what is what is for- fundamental to the problem in the city these nine officers uh, and and the and the most that uh the NPR can come up with is is intemperate remarks come on
3: but, but let me say okay let me respond Dan. first of all both issues need to be um, cover, but but see, but see, let me tell you in that whole story. And certainly, we 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 talk about crime all the time. But when you have someone who has a mindset, I'm not doing anything for poor people. So does that mean you're not going to fight crime in the community? So no, this story needs to be exposed, just like the crime. But this, I, and again, I don't care if it's true. If it is the policy. That is unacceptable behavior. And then lastly, I, I, I agree. I'm in a Ron, working environment. I agree. I, I don't want a person in a working environment. Dan. Okay. I, at any, any place I've ever worked, there's certain behaviors. There's certain language. is unacceptable. And I have, I should not have to be so your personal views. I don't care what you do, but in, in the workplace, I don't need to hear the N-word. I I don't need to hear people calling white people nice. So why don't you just be professional and do your job? Then it won't be a story.
0: I I agree, Ron. I totally agree. There is no disagreement. Uh, The the point is 9 out of 12,000. Do you want to – I mean, this is not excusing the 9. It's we have limited bandwidth. And we have big problems, and this is down the list. This should be handled internally by HR, by the mayor's office, whatever. I mean, you want to apply the 9 out of 12,000 standard to CPS? And I, I and I know Ron is on the same page with this. He would say the same thing. Well, same thing in CPS. I get it. You want to apply the 9 and 12,000 to the 30,000 employees at City Hall? The 25,000 employees at county government, the 60,000 employees in state government I mean that's fine. I agree Corporate America I don't you know I don't want it either I completely agree there's no need for that there's no place for it in a professional environment be respectful of one another but I mean this is kindergarten stuff compared to what the city is facing. that's the point. Corey and Woodlawn.
3: You know, I had a comment, but listening to Ron, I had to change my comment. Our neighborhood needs help, and it's because of people like Ron that we're not getting the help. Our trashmen need help. These guys are running around throwing bags of trash in the middle of the street. I was a B-facilitator for B-313. These cops need help. So what if they were on the Oath Keepers? I like the Oak Keepers. We need more individuals with that mindset in our community to help our community instead of playing this gotcha gang with these police officers. Thank you.
0: Thanks for the call, Corey. Thanks, Thanks Corey. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV,
1: share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The
0: Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Wang Chong.
7: Interesting. Uh, yeah. Oh, like dance at Justin's wedding, danced all night.
0: Was it dance all day? Was dance all days featured at the wedding? <laughs> um, was it? Was it? Justin, Wang, Chung? Wang Chung. Was did Wang Chung part of it? Was that Wang no, Chung on the playlist? No, that was not. Oh, that's. Uh, I was going to say it's a little after, a little before your time. All right, it's time for a little girl talk uh, for Amy's sake. Uh, Justin, tell us all about the honeymoon. And by the way, uh, first question, predicate question: Did you cry? During the vows.
7: Okay. And be honest.
17: (laughs) Okay, so during the main ones, no, I did not. The do you take in sickness and in health. But in the private ones, I will admit, I did (laughs) cry.
7: Okay, so tell us, what is this private one? Yeah. yeah, Walk us through this.
17: Well, a lot of couples like to do personal vows, and then you're standing in front of the audience making inside jokes that not a lot of people understand. We wanted to keep it quick, tight, sentimental, and so we agreed on a limit of, you know, length and, you know, we did it privately so that all the inside jokes weren't missed on the audience and so that it didn't make everybody have to sit around for like 15 minutes while we just blabbered on.
7: And this right, is when read. you cried, though. You cried, though, right, during this portion? Yes. The private I... section this of the day.
0: So weak. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, um, so read us the private vows. Yes.
17: I told you to bring a copy. Let's go. <laughs> private vows? Mm-hmm. No. no the, I, have, have, have. Just give us a taste. And,
0: and please keep it together. That's <laughs> <laughs> the word takes. private. There were
13: private
1: vows. Well,
0: but that, he was doing that for the purpose of expediting the uh, the process. Now, you know, we've got time here. It's, 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 I assume he wants our listeners, you know, they're like family. I want to hear this as well. No, no, we don't. Oh, have no, he's
7: looking
17: house. it up. I, I just, You're looking <laughs> it up on your phone, right? Not, I'm not reading any of these. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Just be to think, the because then come reaction. the waterworks. Okay. Well, <laughs> when right. did
17: you? When did
7: you cry during the ceremony or at the reception? Didn't you cry when you were dancing with your mom? Or did I have that wrong?
17: I might have teared up while I was dancing with my mom, but that was only because she was crying and she. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, like her. I'm total sap when it comes to other people crying in front of me.
7: And they're oh still married. They're a weekend. So it's, and like
17: they're a it's like a scene from Stand By Me,
0: the vomiting that starts, and then everybody starts <laughs> vomiting, that, which is what I would have done, actually,
17: when I, if I had seen that. Um, so uh, tell us about the honeymoon. Oh, the honeymoon was beautiful. We went to uh, Carousel. We had a stop in Panama, so it was cool to go experience. My first time traveling out of the United States, so it was an unforgettable experience. Seeing Carousel was absolutely stunning, and it is hot. <laughs> yeah. To come back to this is pretty messy. And miserable. what language
7: do they speak there?
17: It's a language called Papiamento. It's like Portuguese, Spanish, and English, and Dutch, all jammed into one language.
0: Are you fluent now?
17: <laughs> um, well,
0: did we, so, did you go before, before the island excursion? Did you, did you spend any time in Panama? Did you go to the canal?
17: No, we didn't. Panama oh. was just a stopover. It was oh, a okay, real I quick see. stopover. And I uh, didn't get to see it actually in the light of day. It was just we got in at like 6 p.m. and then. Went to bed and woke up and straight to carousel.
0: Uh huh. And then and did you just lie around the beach. What did you what do you guys do?
17: Oh, it was a beautiful. We stayed at the Sandals Resort out there, so it was all inclusive. So it was right. a lot of beach time, a lot of pool time, so much to do. And then we did, went into the downtown to see all the downtown Willemstead had to offer.
0: Did you cry at all during the honeymoon <laughs> on the beach or sightseeing? <laughs>
17: Uh, <laughs> well, one time. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my God. Honestly. Tell us. <laughs> no, Would this one's a keep little it more. together. <laughs> I can now. It, my stepdad was the officiant at my wedding. It was a really special thing for him because he doesn't have kids of his own. So Aww. we had like an emotional stepfather-son moment prior to the ceremony. And, you know, Beth and I were reflecting on that while we were out there. And it was it's just a special memory that. I think he gets stuff. I have to
7: tell you, I had a blast at your wedding. I laughed, I cried, we danced, we you know, it just was a really good time and mm, I love like your cats. family. Yeah. Well, his favorite aunt and I were taking pictures. Is it Aunt Jenny?
17: Aunt Jenny.
7: <laughs> I, saw those I have some pictures. pictures to show. Oh no, aunt I've got a right and aunt here.
0: Amy. Yeah. Aunt Jenny. She claims
7: right. she's your favorite
17: aunt. All right.
7: Any stories though after we left? Anybody, you know?
17: Do anything crazy at the reception? Nothing too crazy. I tried a shot ski for the first time oh. in my life. Apparently, that's a thing.
7: Yeah, that was. I saw you guys doing that. I'm like, ooh, time <laughs> for me to leave. <laughs> Dan, have you ever done a shot ski? Uh,
17: you know what I that is? I don't know what that is.
7: Justin, can you explain it to Dan? It's,
17: since we're on a ski, we're in a ski area. Villa Olivia is a ski resort. I don't want to say yes. resort. Yes. Huge mountain. So, bunch yeah. of shot yeah. glasses. Black diamond. On a, yeah. on a, <laughs> double black diamond. Ski. Yeah. It was really cool. I never had seen one in my life before, so I thought it was a thing just in the movies. So it was really cool to see one out in the wild. Not a skier,
0: not a skier. <laughs> but uh, okay, all right. Anything else that that we should know as you uh, you know head off into wedded bliss? No, N-
17: nothing, nothing. I think That's you it? two
0: are
7: going to make it though, because I, I can. T- I'm right. intuitive. When I go to weddings, I always know like ah oh, this this is not going to work. Did you they were gonna get divorced. And at their wedding I knew for sure that they were gonna I know you're gonna make it. I did love you that. know
0: that at your first wedding? Yeah. No, I'm not. You, were you intuitive? hmm Yeah.
7: No, you, I, the, I'm not kidding is, you. Even at my own I it? thought like this we're not gonna I don't know about this. And, yeah.
0: Are you huh? just
17: saying that though? Or are you are you being No, I'm not honest? saying I'm being honest. <laughs>
7: even at my so,
0: own. So when you when the question came to you for the I do you said, What? I, I guess so. We'll give it a run. But Well you're all
7: here, sure.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, she had so many people covering the plate that day that she had plenty of money for her honeymoon. <laughs> exactly.
7: Oh, yeah. Oh, Justin, did you cover the plate, by the way?
2: Did I cover I the mean,
7: plate? Did you count up your cash and yeah, your earnings? Yeah, Justin was
2: paying out to cover the plate. No. Right.
7: <laughs> Mike, you covered the plate, right? No. Oh, you gave a gift? We've had... we. I, I had just... We had this it's discussion. We had this
0: discussion. You're being invited to a party. Well, I, I I covered enough plates for all of you folks. Uh, yes, uh, yes uh, you did. Uh, all right. So uh, these are the days of our lives. Yes. One
2: geography question. Yes. There, yes. Mr. Justin. Did you get a glimpse of Venezuela?
17: From no, Curacao? we weren't able to capture a glimpse. That was one of my, like, biggest points was that we're right on the coast of it but you can't see 40 miles out And plus there was like always a storm going on over there so it was very foggy and clouded and even when we were on the boat you know out a couple miles it was still not visible were there
7: any illegals from venezuela trying to invade the island (laughs) or did they keep them at bay well you know kind of like cuba to Florida to Key West. I mean were the did you see any of that?
17: Well, I didn't see anything crazy or nefarious mm-hmm. going on.
0: You decided not to sightsee in Caracas, probably a good call. Uh all right. Sands through the hourglass are we, are we I mean I, I've sort of I've sort of run run the table here. I can't.
7: This is like girl talk for you is very prosecution,
2: yeah. prosecution uh rests.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well congratulations to uh <laughs> to Justin and his family and
7: Bethany's his wife's
0: name. Nah, Bethany the dog <laughs> the, the dog whole... was
7: part of the ceremony too and Somersault did a really good job
17: the ring bear
7: yeah what did, What was Somersault doing there
17: Somersault was just a part of the wedding we just wanted to involve her in some way the ring bears were the two little girls oh, right. my little uh cousins but Somersault and then Somersault of course stopped and said hi to Eric our Eric. boss here
7: <laughs> yeah, made nice. her stop along the way
17: <laughs> okay
0: all right well there it is um Justin's wedding, the last wedding, hopefully, that uh, the Chicago Morning Answer family will have. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636
0: to download the app today. Start of the morning, Dan and Amy. uh, Rick, Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Hey, I perfectly
5: understand why the man might cry at a uh, wedding ceremony doing the vows, because that's when the reality is going to hit you of what you just did, and there ain't no backing out now. You're going to start crying.
0: Thanks for the call, Rick. <laughs> wow. All right. One perspective. Um, Babylon B helping uh, folks who are a little confused on uh, which side are the good guys, which side are the bad guys in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, Signs, you might actually be the bad guy. Uh, nine signs, you might actually be the bad guy. Number nine, college kids love you. Yeah, that's good. That's... Uh, eight, you're exhilarated by the thought of innocent people being killed. Mm-hmm. As you've heard from many, a college professor. Uh, number seven, you have a heavy machine gun mounted in the bed of your 1994 Toyota pickup truck, and oh you don't God. live in Kentucky. I got Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Number six, your bulletproof vest has a child on the front of it. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Number five, you defend yourself by reminding everyone you didn't behead all the babies you killed. Mm, too soon. Uh, number four, a Biden gave you $6 billion. That's oh, never a good, never a good sign. Uh, number three, you look at almost anything and say to yourself, I wonder if I can turn that into a rocket and kill someone with it. Number two, your biggest supporters are Ayatollah Khomeini and Mia Khalifa. <laughs> I'll often mention the same sentence. That's that model, right? That dingbat model? Yes. Or rapper or rap model? I don't model? know. Who is that mm. person? Uh, and uh, number one uh, sign, you may be the bad guy. Paragliders seem like a great tool for murdering. Yeah. Right. I I get it. It's uh, dark humor, but... Uh, Dark humor with a point, which is good satire. Uh, Coming up at uh, 7.07, we're going to talk to Andy McCarthy. Speaking of being paid uh, $6 billion by Biden, how about uh, that curious transfer? You know, people want, uh, the D.C. Press Corps wants uh, House Republicans to prove up. Smoking gun. Where's the money that went directly to Joe Biden? Where's the money that went from point A to the big guy that indicates something nefarious? Well, $200,000 from Biden brother to the big guy, as so documented by Jim Comer. I know the posture is you don't have anything and we're not interested in you investigating to find anything. But um, But House Republicans are moving forward anyway, and they've got something we're going to. Put that by Andy McCarthy and get his perspective. Well, on Well, is it.
7: this the brother who takes the naked selfies? The uh, no, it's
0: uh, I, I, the I, brother? no, I understandable. It's it's it's, uh, it's a lot to keep track of. This is uh, Jim Biden. Oh, okay, yeah, Jim Biden, who is one of the is the well, not one of he is the inveterate Biden brother when it comes to leveraging the Biden name for. Government contracts in particular in areas where he had no particular expertise. I mean, he got a, a contract to do uh, green zone construction in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember which, but he he has no background in construction. He's doing real estate development in Costa Rica after the big guy meets with the Costa Rican president and so forth. I mean, all of this has been documented, but it needs to be restated and reexamined. And uh, Jim Comer and company are on the job, even in the absence of a speaker.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook, or read about it in the paper, hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Meet Adam Moore, won't you? Adam Moore is San Francisco. Adam Moore is also a convicted sex offender who lives his life by two simple rules. I'll let him tell you. Adam
12: Moore tells me he has lived on the sidewalk across the street from Stella Maris Academy for more than two years and that his sign offering free fentanyl for new users is no joke. Moore says he's just passing on the drugs that other people give him in exchange for blankets and supplies he provides.
17: They feel bad if they don't reciprocate so they bring me trash that they've scavenged things that they think are valuable or they give me some of the drugs that they have which I don't do.
12: You're exposing grade school kids to this Mm mm-hmm this is not right you know that
17: no no I mean the kids shallow I mean the
12: kids the kids come out of the school and they see this yeah yeah I only live by two rules
17: Uh, be kind to others and make it look easy for children
12: The Richmond District Police Captain told me they recently Mm. tried an undercover sting on Moore, but he didn't have any drugs at the time. However, it's his past that's led to some concerns. Moore is on the Megan's Law website for lewd and lascivious acts with a child under the age of 14.
17: I was innocent of all of the charges that I've been accused of convicted of Moore
12: is apparently not considered a high-risk offender so he does not have to follow the rule to stay 2,000 feet away from any school
14: and uh, I was told that he is in compliance with all the components of uh, what his sex registration are
0: that's a police officer there so uh, hey our hands are tied Uh, kids uh, if you're looking for free fentanyl Adam Moore is right across the street once you get out of school uh, San Francisco How I get to this? San Francisco, Oh, pretty straightforward, actually. Pretty straight line. The city has intensified its crackdown on street vendors as the fencing of stolen goods has become increasingly prevalent in the downtown areas, including U.N. Plaza and the vicinity of Mission and Market Streets. Those areas are also known for drug deals. The problem with that crackdown is the um, lives of city inspectors are being threatened. So now city inspectors in San Francisco are willing to ...wearing bulletproof vests when they have to go down and sweep these street vendors for proper permitting and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about Chicago, where we stand uh, a little bit earlier in the show, not just the, the murder of yet another preteen yesterday in Inglewood, but also... Uh, Per Pritzker's purge law, the release of a truck driver who opened fire on another car during a road rage incident on I-55. Not a threat to the public. He's free to go pending trial. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in uh, big city America where the New Orleans DA got carjacked with his mom in the car last week. Mm -hmm. And the anecdotes are legion. And the data is irrefutable. And the change doesn't appear to be coming. Uh, For more on this and other topics, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Andy McCarthy. He, of course, is a contributing editor to National Review. He is the former uh, chief assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Manhattan. And he's the author of the bestseller, Ball of Collusion, the Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it morning. Um, well, why don't you um, take a shot at uh, the question Amy asked. Uh, how did we get here in San Francisco, Chicago, St. Louis, New Orleans, Memphis, Baltimore, etc.?
18: Well, it's the same answer, really, for how we end up with, uh, you know, pro-Palestinian demonstrations on America's campus the day after uh days after a massive uh, murder and rape spree you know it's not it, uh, basically the answer is we decided to unlearn history um, there's nothing really new about this there's, it's a little bit more disturbing today I think than it was in the 60s and 70s Dan in that I think um, progressive ideas have um invaded and pervaded the uh, the institutions in a way that they hadn't in the 60s and 70s. So mm-hmm. in, in the uh, old days, we had crime that's even higher than it is now. I mean, I always remind people, we complain in New York that we had about 480 homicides last year. And, you know, in 1991, we had, plus, I think it was 2,600 homicides. Ooh. So the crime rate and then, and the, you know, just the sheer number of crimes isn't, what it was in the worst of the bad old days, but you could get there pretty fast. And what happened in those days was we were applying exactly the kind of uh, progressive prosecutorial ideas that are applied today, which are basically non-enforcement policies, which embolden the criminals. the The problem with trying to snap back is, even though we know what works. Because we, it's not like an abstract idea. We had crime down very significantly for 30 years, from about the, the mid 90s to the mid uh, 2010s. Uh, but the will to do it has um, has really seeped away, and I think I, for that I blame the fact that the you know the crazies who were blowing up the buildings in the 60s and 70s, uh, at a certain point in time, realized that. You know, taking over the school system was was better for them than blowing it up, and the society rewarded them with uh, instead of putting them in prison, which is where they belonged. Uh, they ended up in um, very influential academic positions yeah,
2: sure. yeah. to the point
18: where they're now running. You know, what what uh, what books you read, what syllabuses are taught, et cetera. And you know, I've been trying to make this point for. I wrote a book about the Muslim Brotherhood in 2010 called The Grand Jihad, explaining that the Muslim Brotherhood was a sophisticated terrorist organization, not a sophisticated Sharia supremacist organization for which terrorism was just one item on a menu, and that they were spending a lot more of their energy on setting up Muslim Students Associations, which there were only about a handful of them in the Midwest when they started in the 1960s. They now have four or five chapters in almost every university campus in the united states and canada and if you're asking yourself how did this happen on the campus just like amy just asked how did we get here this is how we got here you know you turn over the institutions of opinion to progressives for a generation or three and this is what you get
7: but are you surprisingly i mean everyone is these pro-palestinian rallies i mean the the pro-israel rally yesterday in chicago they had to move locations three times and they ended up at foster beach I mean, they can't even have, you know, the pro-Palestinians take over downtown Chicago. And, you know, even doctors wearing white, you know, jackets are out there. Well, it's just, I mean, are you surprised as not just college students, but it seems like a lot of Americans are pro-Palestinians?
3: I'm,
18: uh, well, I'm not surprised as far as the school age and younger people are, because as I said, those, those universities have become indoctrination centers of Jew hatred. What, what surprises and alarms me is how easily the fervidness of anti-Semitism came to the surface. I mean, you would think in a better, in a better time in the, in the world, an attack like happened on October 7th would make those people shut up for a year or so. And instead, they, as the saying goes, found their voice within you know, about 48 hours uh to the point where it's like the atrocities that were committed are a footnote uh and what matters is the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian cause they are i think getting more audacious about you know saying out loud what it is like they used to they used to say they just want self determination or they just want dignity now they're you know now everybody knows this uh, cuz they've said it so much this uh you know from the river to the sea Palestine will be free. Well, you know, Israel pulled out of Gaza uh, in 2005, every inch of it. And they'd be, they they like nothing better than to wash their hands of the, of the West Bank as well. Um, so if, if what they really wanted was what all the delusional politicians say, which is a two-state solution of Israel and Palestine living side by side in peace, it's not, you can't just say they could have that. They could have had it already. So what from the river to the sea means is that they consider every inch of that to be Muslim land, including Israel. And as long as the state of Israel exists, then they won't be, quote-unquote, free. That's what the cause means. So it's, it's Jew hatred and it's intense anti-Zionism. And I think people are starting to starting to ask themselves – I hope they are – why has every government, Republican and Democrat, going back to the 1990s, told us this nonsense about the two-state solution when the people over there don't want it? I mean the Israelis would be content to have it, but their neighbors are people who want them destroyed, and that's never changed, and that's what they teach in the schools. I want to go back to the you
0: – know, I, mean, I want to go – I want to go back to the institutional piece, too, because I think that's the important point uh, when it comes to the West and particularly America. I'm um, talking about college campuses, but, of course, this is uh, seeped into the national security apparatus of our government uh, story just last week amid Israel-Gaza tensions. Blinken holds listening meetings with Muslim and Jewish staffers because you've had some uh, Muslim officials – or just generally officials quit in protest over the administration's support for Israel's response in Gaza. You had a story from the Daily Wire last week where a former spokesman for the uh, PLO is uh was is processing asylum applications. Uh, she's got a, you know, mid to senior level job at the Department of Homeland Security. Um So the sort of the turning over of the institutions to uh, illiberal people of all particular of all stripes and and denominations, but who share a particular ideology.
5: Yeah, I think, Dan, this is
18: uh, for those of us who've always said that um, the Biden administration is like the third term of the Obama Biden administration. This makes it's it's a seamless transition. Right. In the Obama years. You were no longer allowed to say terrorism. They changed it to uh, violent extremism, and they told people that you're not supposed to um, study ideology, uh, particularly the uh, Islamic ideology, which I call Sharia supremacism, that was driving terrorism. Their idea was um, any ideology that's uh, taken to an extreme could cause violence, and they thought the most likely violence was to come from, like, Republicans and uh, eventually Trump supporters and and the like. And in, if you remember in those days, I think we talked about it any number of times, they purged uh, from FBI and intelligence uh, training people who could lecture in the ideology that drove the terrorism against us from, you know, basically going back to – to Hezbollah in the 80s going forward. And I was amazed because I had prosecuted terrorists in court in the 1990s. And it turned out that most of what we used to call evidence that we would present to the jury, our agents who were being trained as national security officials were no longer allowed to hear that in their training. And, you know, fortunately, most of them were smart enough, uh, you know, to go outside the government and educate themselves if they were doing this work day to day but the people who were officially uh, coming in to instruct classes at Quantico for the FBI and at other places for the Defense Intelligence Agency and the other intelligence agencies they were purged they were no longer allowed to uh, um, to, to teach what it was that inspired our enemies so this is just the next logical step but I don't think any of it ever stopped.
0: I wanted to get to, to your uh, review of this uh, latest uh, evidence, what we used to call evidence. Speaking of that phrase, this uh, latest evidence against Biden Incorporated uh, in 2018, Jim Biden, brother, received 600 grand in loans from AmeriCorps, which is a was a failing rural hospital operator. Uh, Biden received the loans based on representations that his last name could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections. Uh, March of that year, AmeriCorps wired 200 grand loan, quote unquote, into Biden and Jim Biden, Sarah Biden's personal bank account, not their business account. On the same day, Jim Biden wrote a $200,000 check from the same personal bank account to Joe Biden. Um, just uh, a, the, just a loan repayment uh, from one brother to another. That's it. Nothing to see here. You buy that?
18: Well, no, but, you know, I, I think as we've discussed before, I think this whole idea that we have to show personal direct payments to Joe Biden, to me, is, um, is aiming in the wrong place because Joe Biden is the business. There would not be a business without Joe Biden. And this idea that you have to, in order to make the corruption case, you have to show the direct payment, uh, is to me just a wrong way of thinking about it. But that said,
0: but it helps. I
18: do think the. Oh yeah, no, no, I don't, I'm not saying it's not helpful. But what along those lines, if that's if that's the way we're going to play it, I think the sweet spot for evidence is likely to be um, the period from late 2016 into 2018. Because I think what happened there is everybody thought Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president, and Biden thought his political career was effectively over. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't have – I don't think they had dreams of him running for president at that point because Hillary was going to be president for eight years. So he was thinking no one was ever going to investigate him, obviously, for any of this stuff. And he was never going to be in public office again, so he didn't have to worry about people hounding him because he was going to be kind of irrelevant. So if they did stupid, really, really stupid things, like even stupider than Barisma and some of the Chinese stuff, I think we're likely to find it in that late 2016 to early 2018 period before he decided to run for president again.
7: Andrew McCarthy, I wanted to ask you about uh, Sidney Powell's, her guilty plea. What was your first impression?
18: That it's all misdemeanors. I thought this whole, you know, I I wrote at the time, Amy, that the RICO, I've done a bunch of RICO cases, this RICO doesn't make any sense to me. It's, you know, it's not, it's not a RICO. Um, And she's now disposed of three cases, and no one's taken a RICO plea. And what usually happens with uh, prosecutors who are trying to bring big cases is the first cooperators in the door to plead guilty, you get them to plead to everything. Because that, show, that shows the public that you actually really do have a case. It puts a lot of pressure on the other defendants to plead guilty and cooperate. So she can't even get the cooperators to come in and plead guilty to the RICO because it's absurd. I think Sydney ended up getting, what, six misdemeanor pleas? And I don't have any – I don't carry any brief for Sydney, But um, I just think this case – I, I never said that there was no case. It looks to me like there's a couple of discrete things in there. Um, you know for example if they made false statements on documents or if they uh, you know if they hacked into government systems then those could be discreetly those could be uh, significant crimes but I don't think they have Trump on any of that I don't think they have like the highest ranking people in it and she tried to throw a Rico bow on this thing Godfather instead of like why can't you just deal with what Trump did
0: you know, I mean, right. because they don't have because because you know one would surmise because they don't have anything. Right. Yeah, right. 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 So he know, just they have so she's
18: every behavior, but they, you know, they don't have crimes. And so she's just going to tell it as something
0: that's not. So she's just going to have Sidney Powell and Cheeseboro and, and these others just say he made me do it. All right, jury convict him. Right.
16: Yeah. Well, I don't even think they, but I don't think they even have that. I'd be supposed you know, now maybe
18: Cheeseborough had a conversation with Trump. I doubt it. I think he talked to Giuliani. And I do think there was something funky going on with the, the fake electors in the sense that I think the fake electors were told that they weren't really, they weren't misrepresenting themselves as the electors. On on, on January 6th, nobody thought those people were alternative slates of electors. But I think they were told that they were just provisional or contingent in the event that trump won his lawsuits whereas i think the higher guys like the the advisors like Cheeseboro and rudy and the rest of these guys thought of the having the alternative electors as something they could argue to congress as a pretext for not counting the the votes of those states um so i don't think it was the same agreement even among the, the various people who were charged in that but again it's if we wouldn't if the riot hadn't happened, we wouldn't even be talking about this because nobody took those slates seriously on January 6th. Nobody did.
0: Andy McCarthy, former chief assistant, U.S. attorney, Southern District of Manhattan, contributing at National Review, author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, thank you, as always.
18: Have a great week, guys.
7: Thanks. You too. And he joined us on our Pro answer line. Hear
1: about the big stories of the day then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, Telegraph reporting across the pond. An asylum seeker bent on avenging deaths in Gaza has carried out a suspected terrorist attack in Britain. The public has not been told that the man who came to the U.K. in 2020 told police he had done it for Palestine. This is being reported in the Telegraph. Uh, Douglas Murray uh, picked it up. Um, They won't disclose uh, what exactly was done. Only that an attack had already taken place. Uh, Security source, they may be downplaying it so they don't have repeat attacks or copycat attacks. This was after, uh, this was last week, after uh, earlier in the week, a Tunisian man who shot dead two Swedish football fans in Brussels, soccer fans in Brussels, had arrived in Europe on a boat that landed on the Italian island of Lampedusa. The incident led to political debate in Europe over whether porous borders pose a security risk amid instability in the Middle East. Gee, I, I wonder. Uh, Christopher Wray on 60 Minutes last night said, you know, if you see something, say something. Uh, people and communities are our uh, best. uh line of defense in terms of communication about any potential security threats okay um how about if i just show you pictures of eagle pass texas and i point to them director ray say there's a security threat would that help for more on this we're pleased to be joined by mark morgan who is former u.s customs and border protection commissioner mark thanks for being with us again appreciate it
16: you bet hey real quick how how about the best line of defense is that we secure our southern border how about we start with that oh,
0: it's
7: well too simple of an yeah. answer I mean, it would yeah. make too much sense
0: yeah i mean the um the the, the threat level here with respect to uh, with respect to the border um and just what we know about the number of encounters law enforcement has had over this fiscal year with uh persons known to be on our terrorist watch list
16: yeah, this is this is critically important. So, if I can, what 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 happened in Israel should should be a wake up call. Two major areas, a lot more, but here's two major. One is it should tell every American wake up that global terrorism is alive and well. And the same Islamic extremists that carried out the atrocities against Israel, Israel again, the worst attack against Jews since the Holocaust. That, that same ideology, the same terrorist groups, their commitment is unwavering to bring. Death and destruction to our homeland. Second, it was a colossal intelligence failure. I don't mean that for attribution, just reality. And as good as the United States intelligence community is, Dan and Amy, and it's good, it is not infallible. So this should wake up our country, and they have to look no further than our wide-open southwest border. Three things real quick. So so we had – so we've had Director Ray say before that the wide-open border poses a significant security threat in his opinion. We had a DHS intel report that came out just before the October 7th attacks, and, and people haven't paid attention to it. Where they said, where they said, quote, "Terrorists and criminals will exploit." The wide open southwest border and last last night i think it was a daily caller just reported on a, on a customs and border protection uh, uh office of intelligence out of san diego that said that foreign fighters foreign fighters could be inspired could be uh or reacting to what's happening in israel and attempt to travel and enter our country illegally dan amy you guys we talk about this well, you know it. it's not a matter of if and when the threat comes
7: it's already here and last week alone they've got um at the border in Eagle Pass, they captured somebody from Jordan and somebody from Syria that were on the terrorist watch list. So do you know how many total people they've you know, apprehended? 736,
0: 736 terrorist suspects stopped at the border this year. What?
7: 736 terrorist
0: suspects stopped at the border this year, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection.
16: Yeah, if you, and if you add in September, which, by the way, they just released the numbers on Saturday. Huh? wonder why, because they wanted to bury that. So it, it, this year, counting September again, they just released 172 throughout the the, the the term so far. And Biden in 34 months, 286, 286 illegal aliens on the FBI's terror watch list. But, but Amy, to your point that that's separate from what you just talked about so what you're talking about are what we call sia special interest aliens and what reason we call them that is because they're coming from countries that we know have connections to harbor or, or or facilitating terrorist organizations in the last 34 months we've apprehended people from 160 170 different countries many of them harbor terrorism we've apprehended tens of thousands of special interest aliens. And here's the kicker. We're releasing a lot of them. This is absurd. When are we going to stop putting the wants in interest of those coming to our border ahead of actually securing our border?
0: You know what's interesting, too, this announcement by Governor Sununu in uh, New Hampshire. Because the federal government refuses to take action on our northern border, he wrote, they cut funding, limited resources, and have thrown up their hands. Without adequate federal support, the state is stepping up you mean, with law enforcement up north, it's clear we need more targeted resources. He's uh, leading sort of a northern border action uh, team, including uh, I think it was a million and a half dollars of New Hampshire taxpayer funds, a la sort of Greg Abbott in the South, to provide border security on New Hampshire with respect to New Hampshire's portion of our northern border. Where the federal government won't do that. And I mean, I understand the northern border doesn't have the same problems as the southern border, but having any border be porous is an invitation for uh, at least in part people who uh, mean to do America harm.
16: That's exactly right. And what I would say, first of all, the governor is absolutely right in doing this. What I would say is, is although it's different in the sense of, of numbers, obviously the sheer numbers and volumes coming through the northern border isn't the southern border, but it still poses a significant risk. I mean, remember, it only took 19 individuals, 19 terrorists, to carry the worst terrorist attack, you know, against our homeland in 9/11, and people forget. The southwest border, we share about 2,000 miles with Mexico, and the northern border, we share 5,000 miles of linear border with, with Canada. It's actually the largest shared border between two nations in the, in the, in the world, in, in my understanding. So it poses a threat as well, and we know that there are individuals in Canada that have ties to terrorism, and we know our northern border is absolutely porous. So that's why I say it's not just a southern border thing, it is a nation's border thing. And think about this, just real quick, anybody Realistic. Somebody coming from, let's say Lebanon, which we know right supports Hezbollah. If somebody military age, say thirty years old, comes in illegal the Southwest border, does do they have do they have stamped on their forehead? I support Hezbollah or I don't support Hezbollah. No, it doesn't work that way. And this isn't anti-immigrant. This isn't Islamophobia. This is reality. This is common sense. We don't have the ability to really know what that person's ideology is and whether they support Hezbollah or don't. We don't have that capability.
7: Do we know what the apprehension numbers are up north along the Canadian border? We, we do. And, Amy, and
16: that's, I mean, that's a great question. We forget about it, again, because obviously southwest border, but like Swan Specter, for example, they've seen an increase in over 3,000 percent of those illegal entering. Now, the numbers relatively are low compared to southwest border, but that's still alarming. And at our ports of entry on the northern border, they encounter individuals on the FBI's uh, terror watch list on a regular basis. Again, that's who we encounter. Our focus, that should not be, the numbers are shocking, and, uh, 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 you know, represents the magnitude of the problem. But what we should really be focused on is who and what we're not catching. In the past 34 months, I don't know we've talked about this, 1.6 million known away. I mean, there are 12 states in our country whose population is less than that. We've literally added a 51st state of Godaways. And how many aliens on the FBI's terror watch list are special interest aliens are among the 1.6 million known Godaways? Well, I know there's a heck of a lot. Why? Because I've watched a protest the past three weeks where we have insidious comments and support for terrorist organizations happening in our own country. That didn't happen organically. We imported some of
0: that. Well, and it's not just uh, those on the terrorist watch list. It's also uh, individuals who've uh, previously have been deported for a good reason, who uh, get back in and um, they shouldn't be back in. it's people who perhaps have been deported uh, previously or or not, but who are violent criminals. Again, of, as you say, 1.3 million Godaways. It's I'm not saying it's the majority. I don't know what percentage it is, but. Here we go again with a small percentage of a big number is a big problem, and it's so easily preventable uh, such that you're acting in furtherance of the interests of law-abiding American citizens and legal permanent residents to prevent them from uh, crime that is domestic-oriented or uh, terrorist-related.
16: That's right. That's right. Well, and think about the Godway real quick. So so I agree with everything you just said. In the same 34 months, we've encountered 7.7 million total encounters. 7.7 million. The overwhelming majority of the 7.7 million literally sat down and wait for Border Patrol and they turn themselves in because they know the majority of them are going to be processed or released in the United States. So if that's the case, why do we have a gotaway? Because they know even under this administration, there's going to be a segment of people that are going to be detained and removed. Murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, gang members, and potential national security threats. So that's what I say. 1.6 million known gotaways. There is a large percentage of those. Common sense will tell you there are bad actors. Those where the criminals are. That's where the potential national security threats are. This is insanity. We have literally handed operation control over the cartels. We have people coming into this border that we have no idea who they are, and now they call the United States home. Yeah, that's a concern.
0: What, what's your perspective on the uh, shipment of, of migrants from? Texas and to a lesser extent, Florida, to sanctuary cities and sanctuary states like New York and Chicago and elsewhere. Do you you view that as a political stunt or how, how do you view that? Do you think it's been helpful in terms of making this a national issue rather than just a border state issue or or not?
16: Yeah, that's a great question. Right up front, I I, I think I was among a handful that was saying it it was genius. We even had some conservatives that were like being wishy-washy, whether it's a political stunt or not. And here's one of the main reasons why I said it then, and I'll say it now. I said, look, this is going to keep this issue above the top fold, right? This is going to keep the issue in the narrative, and it worked. And we've seen it. I mean, New York literally are they've been losing their mind with with the number of illegal aliens that have now flooded uh, their state. One of the most uh, uh, cities, one of the most richest, most powerful cities in the universe. And their are crying, crying uncle. They can't handle it. And so we've it's really kept it in the attention. Here's the only downside to it, though, is that I think there's been an overly focus on the illegal alien itself rather than what it causes. Right? The reason why we're so focused on illegal migration is because it pulls resources off the front line away from the law enforcement and national security mission because they're relegated to administrative duties processing millions of illegal aliens. That leaves our borders wide open. The cartels gain operational control, and that's when criminals, drugs, and potential national security threats uh, come in. And lastly, let's 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 make no mistake. Those sanctuary cities—they're not blaming the Biden administration. They're not calling for a reverse course in action. They're not calling to secure the border. They're just asking for more of your money to manage the crisis after it's already been here, rather than prevented it from entering.
0: Mark Morgan, former U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner. Mark, thank you as always. You bet. Thank you both.
7: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, last night on 60 Minutes, it was the first convening for a group interview of the five eyes, and Scott Pelly was giddy with uh, enthusiasm over the prospect. Such five a I'd,
7: weird segment, wasn't it?
0: The five eyes are the essentially uh, top G-men for the U.S., uh, Australia, New, Zealand, New Canada, Zealand, Canada, the U.K., uh,
7: they look like superheroes walking down the street. I mean, it was so goofy. The five, its the five eyes. I'm Scott Bailey.
0: Um, so the topic was, in part, at least with Christopher Ray representing the United States. Uh, in part, it was about the conflict between Israel and Hamas, and what we're doing about the hostages, and what we're doing to protect the homeland. And it was just. Bromides And frankly, you know, as momentous as this gathering was supposed to be, uh, they were out talking to CEOs in Silicon Valley. There was a lot of cliches. Uh, Their focus was not Ukraine. Their focus was not Israel. Their focus was communist China. And that's why they were out in Palo Alto and in Silicon Valley, Palo Alto at Stanford and then in Silicon Valley to talk to these CEOs in tech. As uh, Christopher Ray explained in, from his perspective, the global espionage threat the Chinese communists present.
6: The technology secrets that are about to change the world in artificial intelligence, biology, and computing are falling into the wrong hands, stolen in a global espionage campaign by China. The People's Republic of China represents the defining threat of this generation
2: in this era. There is no country that presents a broader, more comprehensive threat to our ideas, our, our innovation, our economic security, and ultimately our national security. We have seen efforts by the Chinese government, directly or indirectly, trying to steal intellectual property, trade secrets, personal data, uh, all across the country. We're talking everything from Fortune 100 companies all to smart startups. We're talking about agriculture, biotech, healthcare, robotics, aviation. Uh, academic research. We probably have somewhere in the order of 2,000 active investigations that are just related to the Chinese government's effort to steal information.
0: Don't tell that to LeBron James. Uh, the uh, British's MI5 director. Um, he uh, offered more context to this in terms of how the Chinese communists operate, uh, efforting to compromise employees of sensitive businesses both big ones as well as startups in sensitive technological spaces
11: so we see the theft happening in a range of ways one is that we see employees within those companies being manipulated often in the first instance they're not aware of what is happening we have seen for example the use of professional networking sites to reach out in sort of masked disguised ways to people in the uk either who have security clearance or who are working in interesting areas of technology we've now seen over 20,000 examples of that kind of disguised approach to people in the UK who have information that the Chinese state wishes to get its hands on.
0: Sure, we've seen that here with Eric Swalwell falling for the honeypot. No, we get it. Um, and also this, this has particular relevance to Illinois. Um, Chinese communist companies overseen by the, the People's Republic you know, I don't know, like perhaps an electric vehicle battery plant in Mantino, Illinois.
6: The intelligence chiefs told us Chinese companies are overseen by the Communist Party, and for many, espionage is a sideline on behalf of the PRC, the People's Republic of China. Is the Chinese government building industrial sites in your countries that are actually covers for espionage operations. David Vigneault of Canada.
3: We have seen in the past uh, acquisition of of land, acquisition of of different uh, companies, where you, when you start to dig a little bit further, you realize that it's, uh, there is another intent. And we have seen and blocked attempt by the PRC to acquire uh, locations near uh, sensitive strategic assets of the country where we knew that the ultimate purpose was for spying operations.
0: Hmm. Somebody's going to have to tell the Five Eyes that, according to the governor of Illinois, anybody who would raise any such questions is a xenophobe. So what you saw there are apparently five xenophobes. That's according to Governor Pritzker. Ken Pollack is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and author of Armies of Sand, the Past, Present, and Future of Arab Military Effectiveness. Ken Pollack, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
5: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Ben.
0: Uh, One of the other things that uh, the Chinese communists have done recently is move uh, half a dozen warships to the Middle East to make sure their presence is felt there as that conflict uh, develops, right?
5: Absolutely. I mean, look, this is something that we've been seeing for really the past couple of decades, and especially in the last few years, which is, you know, China is expanding its global presence Um, It is particularly focused on the Middle East. Uh, To some extent, it's on economic considerations. They've got a lot of deals out there. They certainly get a tremendous amount of their oil. But that oil really is translating into a strategic interest in the Middle East. And the Chinese want to make sure that if there is ever a war with the United States, say over Taiwan, that they can lock down their interests in the Middle East. And it's, it's playing into China. Getting involved in the Middle East in a whole variety of different ways, some somewhat helpful, others much more unhelpful. And in the recent crisis, you know, they've taken, in effect, Hamas's side fully as a way of kind of driving a wedge between the United States and its Arab allies.
0: And so is this I mean, you know, we talked about this with the invasion, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine I mean, does this unrest, uh, war, really in uh, Gaza, does this provide that much more incentive for Xi to move on Taiwan in the not too distant future? Potentially,
5: absolutely. Uh, This is you know this is one of these circumstances where again there are all these well-meaning people who are saying you know oh let's have a ceasefire, we got to have a ceasefire, we don't want any more people to die. Obviously, nobody wants more Palestinian civilians to die. Nobody should want any more Israeli civilians to die as well. But we need to recognize that right now, Hamas and Iran have won huge victories. Right? They have taken Israel by surprise. They slaughtered 1,300 Israelis, again, including women, children, infants, the elderly. Just a horrific action. Shutting down that war now simply hands that victory. To Hamas and Iran, and if they believe that they can, you know, they can win more of these, they'll keep doing it. And I have no doubt that the Chinese are watching carefully. Well, if the th- West is not willing to defend its interests, that will be a very important signal to the Chinese about Taiwan.
7: Colin Rugg, who I follow, and a lot of people follow on Twitter, he said that China has reportedly deployed multiple warships to the Middle East region. Mm-hmm. Um, is this true? And how many? They, he's reporting up to six Chinese warships are being deployed to that area.
9: Yeah,
5: I don't have the numbers, Amy, but that sounds right to me. And again, it's exactly what you would expect. The Chinese are taking a much greater interest in the area. They are looking for opportunities to advance their own interests, typically at the expense of our own.
0: Um, You suggest in Peace and Foreign Affairs that this conflict between Israel and Hamas could be uh, limited it doesn't have to necessarily spill over into southern lebanon with hezbollah into yemen with the houthis into iran with the mullahs um so obviously the conflagration is the concern why is there some prospect that it could be more limited
5: yeah i think this is very important dan and first let me start by saying one Wars are unpredictable. I would never say don't be worried about escalation. Uh, and two, I've been warning for years about the potential for a region-wide war. But in this case, I think that it's important to recognize that there are all, there's already a lot of evidence that both Iran and Hezbollah are not looking to fight Israel. And that should not tie our hands. It should not tie Israel's hands. That's one of the things I'm worried about. I mean, the biggest, most important piece of evidence that I can cite in favor of that is Iran, and because of Iran, therefore Hezbollah, knew about this attack beforehand. So if they had wanted to, they could have joined Hamas in the original attack on October 7th. That was the time for them to have attacked Israel if they wanted to do so. That was when Israel was most surprised, when it was least prepared, when it was least able to defend itself. Had Iran and or Hezbollah joined in that initial attack on October 7th, the damage to Israel probably would have been an order of magnitude greater. So again, if they wanted a fight with Israel, that was the time to do it. It's very clear that they're not looking for that fight. Um, They understand how powerful Israel is. Unlike Hamas, they're not ready for that Israeli response. And so I think that what that signals is that the likely Iranian and Hezbollah participation in this war is going to be limited. They'll do a bunch of stuff, but like we're already seeing, they might do somewhat more. You're not going to see a Hezbollah ground offensive into Israel. We really have no capability to do so now, especially now that Israel has fully alerted its forces You may see more rocket fire, but right now that's my best guess as to what you're likely to see. And again, for that reason, we shouldn't let this threat of escalation, which you know know, has been tying the Biden administration's hands constantly over aid to Ukraine. We should not allow the same thing to tie either our hands or Israel's hands uh, when dealing with Hamas.
0: Well, these other actors, uh, uh, terrorist organizations like Hezbollah, are are they maybe just being more circumspect they want to see how the west reacts they want to see how the arab world reacts before they um you know run headlong into panzer fire the way that hamas is <laughs> uh yeah
5: you know, to some extent but again if they wanted to do this they could have participated on october 7th they would have done you know enormous damage to israel um again they might choose to get involved What's really important, especially for Hezbollah, is how Israel responds. And, you know, they've experienced that beforehand. Uh, They saw it during the Second Lebanon War of 2006. And it's very important to remember that while the world remembers the Second Lebanon War of 2006 as a humiliating Israeli defeat, which at a political level it was, at a military level, Israel still still did tremendous damage to Hezbollah, so much so that Hezbollah's leader— Hassan Nasrallah afterwards famously gave an interview in which he said, if I had known how Israel was going to respond, I never would have done it in the first place.
7: Right?
0: Mm. They're yeah, still in that Yeah, that's where moment. you want them. Yeah, that's so, where you want them. That's for sure.
7: Is it true that the Egyptians, though, warned the IDF that, hey, that we're hearing chatter, that a, an attack might take place?
5: Yeah. You know, as, as a former CIA officer, these are the kinds of things that you hear all the time. It's possible that that happened. It's also possible that this is just a rumor, that this is something that the Egyptians are putting out. Yet we will find all of this out at when this is all said and done. The Israelis are always very thorough about conducting these you know, deeply searching probes to figure out when something went wrong, why it went wrong, and how to fix it. There's going to be one after this war. That's when we'll find out exactly
4: what happens.
0: What, what do you think uh, China is uh, – how is China processing, I guess I should say, the uh, response from the Arab world? So I think
5: at the moment China is very much you know, in a kind of wait-and-see response. I think that they look at this and they say this was a very clever move on the part of the Iranian. Um, and, you know, Hamas, their allies, and of course, Hamas has many similar interests as Iran, but they've also got some of their own. But from the Chinese perspective, this looks cl- very clever on Iran's part, because again, this is a very clever way for Iran to derail the rapprochement that had been going on between Israel and the Arab states, who were forming a military alliance against Iran, right? And this is Iran breaking that alliance apart, That's exactly the kind of thing that China would like to do in East Asia, right? Break apart the alliance between the United States and its allies that are trying to contain China exactly the way that Israel and the Arab states are hoping to contain Iran. So I think that the Chinese looked at that and said, this this looks like a very clever gambit on Iran's part. We want to see how it turns out, which, again, is why it's so important that at the end of this, Hamas be seen to have failed miserably because that's the only way you're going to convince whether it's the Iranians or the Chinese or for that matter the Russians or other aggressive countries that you cannot succeed in this fashion
0: he is Ken Pollack senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute author of Armies of Sand the past present and future of Arab military effectiveness Ken Pollack thanks for joining us appreciate it
5: thanks so much for having me on
7: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
5: It's news, opinion,
1: insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So three weeks and know-how speaker. Does uh, Matt Gates at uh, this moment owe Republicans, not just in the House, but across the Fruited Plains, an apology? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. What does he need to apologize for, you ask? Well, how about starting a fire and hoping somebody else put it out? Is that responsible? Kevin McCarthy, the former House Speaker, his name's still on the door. Uh, was on Meet the Press yesterday, and he had this to say about uh, how we got here in addition to offering his support for a particular replacement now that Jim Jordan's candidacy is by the boards.
14: Well, it's embarrassing, and you've got to understand why we are here. Eight Republicans led by Gates have created this chaos by joining every single Democrat in voting to shut down one branch of government. Look, I would do the exact same thing again. Could you imagine if we were having this discussion right now with the American government shut down, with our troops in the Middle East wondering when they'll ever get paid again? Keeping the government open was the right decision to make, and I'd make it again each and every day. Now, the two men, Steve Scalise and um, <clears throat> Jim Jordan, they could have done the job as speaker. Unfortunately, the chaos has continued. We need to solve this problem. We've got a wide-open southern border. We've got crushing inflation. we got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. We need someone who understands how to do this job. I believe Tom Emmer, our whip he's been in the room with all of our successes from our bills to secure the border from parents bill of rights from cutting two trillion dollars getting work requirements he knows how to do the job across the street at the same time helping us win the majority he's he sets himself head and shoulders above all those others who want to run we need to get him elected this week and move on and bring this not just party together but focus on what this country needs most 312-642-5600,
0: Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turkey dot Proenza line. They conference tonight and then vote tomorrow. Try it again, depending on who. Well, regardless of who emerges as the uh, as the nominee, we'll see. I guess tonight and then we'll try again tomorrow.
7: And Matt's, Matt Matt Gates, you know, when they, when Jim Jordan decided to drop out, he you know was quick to respond, saying, you know, these people are. You know, he didn't call them idiots, but he said, why wouldn't they vote for Jim Jordan? He's the obvious choice, but. There's uh, Republicans that don't like Jim Jordan. So what about isn't you're one of your Congress your congressman uh, one of the nine who want it now? Byron Donalds. Byron yeah,
0: Donald's. Mm-hmm. yeah, I like Byron. Yeah. Um,
7: Any shot that he could get it because that would be a smart choice.
0: Matt Gaetz complaining about Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. So yeah, I'd i I'd, uh, uh, I'd, I'd support uh, Jim Jordan or Matt or uh, Steve Scalise. He said at the time, well, right, um, it doesn't work that way. It, You've got a group of eight and you've got other factions within the caucus who are going to not look upon that kindly that the group of eight is going to decide who the next speaker is. And so now you have other people being petulant in response to your petulance. But it doesn't make either petulant group look good because that's what it was, petulance. When you don't have a plan, a succession plan, and you don't have buy-in, that's not caucus leadership that was exhibited by Matt Gates and those other seven, that's petulance. That's throwing a temper tantrum over your uh, the ethics complaint that uh, I guess you're upset Kevin McCarthy didn't make go away or some disagreement about uh, going to the mat on a continuing resolution to fund the government in these uh, precarious times, as if there was going to be some... A paradigm-shifting moment where there was going to be real reduction in the size and scope and expense of government on this latest shutdown theater. It's absurd, and everyone knows it's absurd. Everyone knows it's not going to happen. You can make the arguments now, and you should make the arguments now, with the prospect that maybe someday— If you can convince enough of the public to elect majorities that are big enough and conservative enough in both the House and the Senate and get a president in the White House who is similarly disposed, then you could do something that was of the watershed variety. Nothing watershed is going to happen in this environment. And I don't care if you make uh, Tom Emmer the House Speaker or Donald Trump. It's not going to happen. So you have to operate on the the landscape as it actually exists and what has uh, matt gates and those eight accomplish with this uh, three weeks of chaos as uh, mccarthy said that was so easily predictable because there was no plan and because matt gates doesn't speak for but a very small percentage of the caucus and by the way if matt gates thinks this is a wonderful moment for him um it's not going to be a wonderful moment for him if he has got, if he still has statewide aspirations in Florida to run for governor and follow DeSantis or something else. This is not uh, a helpful moment. This is myopic. And uh, most people don't respond that. to myopia. Most people say, you know what I like in a leader? Tunnel vision.
7: 312 six, 642 zero, zero, Pro Answer line, 64636, six, type in. Da then a quick comment our Depro uh text line is up and running.
0: Colleen in Wicker Park.
7: Hi, so Colleen. Glad to get
0: through to you. I
4: when, I, when the weekend comes, I start dreading it because I won't be won't get to hear your words of wisdom. But I've got a couple of words that I did not come up with, but seems so applicable. We all sent these people there to do a very difficult job that was disturbing. and But the right thing at the wrong time is no longer the right thing. That's number one. And number two, if you want to clean the stream, you have to stir up the bottom. And this is what we're seeing. And you're seeing this montage everywhere you go. Remember when Rush you know, made popular these montages of, of certain words like gravitas? Well, right now it's chaos everybody's loving oh it's chaos we're all gonna die well uh yeah it is but it's probably going to happen that way no matter when it happens but some of that's going to have to happen in the end so it's it's never pretty while you're doing it but uh it's the only way to get to the other side where you get some clear vision trump came to dc tells you why they hate him so much he waded right into the stream and started Sticking around, poking around, and, you know, stirring up all the scum that's on the bottom. And we're just seeing another another uh, personification of that sort of behavior. Yeah. And we won't see the
0: end of it for a long time. Thanks for the call, Connie. Yeah, there's something to that. But, you know, there's – I don't know why there is this, um, I don't know, resistance to competence. You can stir up the bottom. You can take on the swamp. You can make the arguments that make people uncomfortable, but you also can do it in a way that is effective, where you advance the flag, not just wave it. A lot of people can wave a flag. It's a lot more complicated to advance it. And Trump made some missteps strategically in advancing the flags uh, with respect to the arguments that he made or the uh, the bottom that he stirred up, to borrow from Colleen, where um, being... A little bit more cagey could have produced better results, perhaps even being a little bit more aggressive with uh, recalcitrant Republicans like Paul Ryan at the time could have produced uh, better results when it comes to things like uh, how much the security at the border was actually enhanced. So um, you can both be a change agent, for lack of a better description, maybe revolutionary is probably too strong. You can go both be a change agent and you can be competent. The two are not mutually exclusive. You can be strategically shrewd. Uh, Dan and Matt, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer.
13: You know, Dan, this is one of those times that someone stood up for something they actually said they were going to stand up for. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is going to be messy. Democracy is messy. But someone had to take this step at some point in time to convince those guys in Washington that there are people out there that really care about the deficit and being straight with the American people. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to have repercussions. But those repercussions, we're going to have to live with and work through. In the end, it'll be something worthwhile, no matter how it turns out.
0: All right. Thanks for the call, Dan. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just, again, I, I don't see why having a succession plan that you get buy-in from your caucus mates was a bad approach. Maybe he couldn't get it done. If he couldn't get it done, maybe that should have told him something. Um, Interesting letter that was written to uh, the Republican caucus by a member of the Republican caucus, Jay French Hill, who's a congressman from Arkansas, and a sort of, uh, I guess, sort of one of the de facto historians within the caucus. Uh, He uh, writes uh, during my nomination speech of McCarthy in January, I referenced the deeply divided, unhappy Republican conference of 1922 to 1925 with only 223 Republicans. A group of some 25 members periodically threatened conference procedure and from time to time voted with Democrats that made organizing the conference and electing a speaker very challenging. Republican unity was in shambles at the time. Our predecessors of a century ago reasoned together to find a path forward, and today we must do the same. For failure to do so empowers Democrats, demoralizes our voters, and imperils our ability to retain our hard-earned majority in the People's House to say nothing of our prospects of winning back the Senate and the White House. We are not a multi-block parliament. We're a constitutional republic with two dominant political parties. This means that we must come together for the sake of efficiency efficiency and restore and then guard our party discipline so we may deliver responsible policy outcomes that reflect our shared conservative principles not doing so will render us unable to exercise our majority uh, failure is not an option I mean I think those are uh, that's, that's a sensible uh, position to take uh, the historical precedent I think is useful and um, it's sort of an admonishment of the The Ken Bucks uh, and the uh, the 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 moderate Republicans in districts Biden one who are afraid of their shadows, as well as it is Gates and company. And he's right. There's going to have to be some give here. And if what happens is something akin to what I suggested would happen was you're not going to get somebody more conservative than Kevin McCarthy, probably end up maybe end up being uh, Tom, Tom uh, Emmer. Um, as uh, McCarthy endorsed congressman from Minnesota, the whip, then uh, tell me again what exactly you accomplished. You, uh, Gates, and those who support Gates, told America there's some people who really care about the profligate spending in D.C. Yeah, people already knew that. It's not about that there's some people that care. It's about the some people who care. Can you put together the necessary governing coalition to actually translates your concern into policy and right now the answer is no and gates's histrionics will have accomplished nothing in that direction in fact they probably will hurt the push in that direction he certainly is not going to be an effective spokesman going forward except to a very insular group of uh, grassroots republicans um, that do not have sway over most of that caucus i'm telling you uh, Mike in Rutherford, Texas. Hey, Mike.
19: Hey, good morning. Morning. Um, not not only do I I think he owes an apology, he he's owed a debt of thanks. I mean, here, listen, Dan. Here, I've heard you talk about this in the past. And I'm really surprised at you. Okay, if you want to know what happens to the Republican Party nationally. By moderating itself into oblivion and, and playing Charlie Brown when Lucy pulls the football every Thanksgiving, you look at the Illinois Republican Party because that's where they're headed. That's what they did. They moderated themselves into uselessness. We've got Democrat and democrat Light. What's the difference? You know, Granger, my Congress creature, as a wholly owned subsidiary, of Lockheed Martin Incorporated, okay? She's exactly what Ike Eisenhower cautioned us about the military-industrial complex, and that's who runs that swamp, including the Republican caucus. Okay, they're a bunch of morons. This needs to happen, Dan. Think about this. There's a context for everything, okay? <clears throat> JFK couldn't get elected as a Republican today. He was too, too conservative. That's how far to the left we've slid, including the swamp creature rhino scumbags on the Hill who've made that happen. They've sold us out. They're corporatists, Dan. We need to put a stop to it. We need to put that fire out. We need to stop the slide. So Getz is just the start. I don't care about Getz as an individual. He just did what was right, what needed to happen. That's all.
0: Thanks for the call, Mike. I I mean, Um, he didn't
7: have a plan. I mean, as you said, he built on the bridge, but with no other way to, no plan in place to build, rebuild that bridge. Yeah. And I also
0: I think it's a lot more complicated than I mean, to suggest the House Republican caucus is a mirror image of the Illinois Republican Party. I mean, come on. I mean, let's let's get a grip here. Uh, The Jim Jordans of the world, the Tom Massey's of the world, uh, they would have no home in the Republican Party in Illinois. And that's a compliment to them. The Jim Comer, the work that's being done by a lot of House Republicans, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. I could go on. But to say that they're all swamp creatures or that they're they're all sort of giving in to moderation and the status quo, I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's a recognition about how – what the limits are of a slim majority in one-half of one-third of the government. Uh, Nate Chiller-Park.
20: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Um, so I – love everything you say, Dan, Annie, I mean, you're right. Nobody did have a plan, but here's what I will say. It's, it's okay to not have a plan. The one thing that we haven't done in the last three weeks is we haven't spent a single dollar of our taxpayers, not a single dollar. Nothing has been said. We're no, the, for, the government's you know, on
0: autopilot. 80% of the government is on yes. autopilot. The idea that we're not spending, I mean, come on.
20: No, that's true, Dan. But what we haven't done is we haven't spent more money than we've already spent. There's been no bill passed, and that's a good thing. That means we can't fund anything else right now, and we shouldn't fund anything until we can balance our budget across the board for everything. And you are absolutely right. There are so many good Republicans in the Republican Party. The problem is is we have such a slim majority that unless we have a Speaker of the House that will absolutely shut down everything the Democrats want, all it takes is, what, 10 Republicans to vote with the Democrats, which has been continuously happening over the years. There's no unity in the Republican Party. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have is there is no unity. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, guys. Have a good day.
0: Thanks. Well, I mean, I'd like unity around the failures of the left. And that's where the focus should be, because you're not going to the idea that you're going to get the big spending Republicans uh, in the minority go join with the, the majority of Democrats in the Senate and the White House. Uh, And some of the squishy Republicans in the House think that you're going to get them to truly balance the budget like an honest balanced budget or to to really cut government to reduce the thirty three trillion, more like one hundred fifty trillion dollars when you include unfunded liabilities and debt in the short term. That is just Pollyannish. That is not going to happen. There is no circumstance and no speaker. Under which that happens when you have to, for example, pay military men and women when we're talking about sending Delta Force over to try to rescue hostages in Gaza, for goodness sakes. I mean, think about the optics of this for a second. Think about the immediate politics of this. And this is not expediency over principle. This is just pragmatism in furtherance of the bigger, better play when you have a more advantageous landscape. I I, I just I don't I, you you think you can just um, uh, get, say no more and nobody else gets to make a play. No, everybody else gets to make a play. And by the way, they outnumber you. Mike in Milwaukee. Morning, Dan and Amy. Um, first of all, Dan, you asked about why we're
5: afraid of competence. And I think on the left, there is no competence. The ideas that
16: they've voiced have no compet- competency. They, they cannot work. So... The, our side always buckles to them. Uh as for Nate who's just talking, did, did he not hear uh President Pudding Cup's speech this week? We're still spending. He's just spending without authority. And and uh lastly, I got my picture taken with the Oscar Meyer mobile yesterday oh, and the the guy day. driving it didn't know that I'm sorry?
7: Oh I said that's a big day for you. Good job.
16: It was. It was an O'Connell and, and uh I was talking to the driver and he wasn't aware that Paul Ryan used to drive the mobile.
0: Yes. Yeah. It comes from a long line of uh, right, successful Wienermobile drivers. Uh, somebody, <laughs> hey, maybe this guy could be Speaker. Hey, Tell him to put his hat in the ring. Thanks for, thanks for the call, Mike. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.